So anyway, today we are launching our next series, um, and we've been talking a lot about, you know, we just finished our series on Job, and we did a short a little mini-series on missions, um, but coming out of Job for a little while as our teaching team, we were going, you know, it be, would be really nice as if we talk about Job, and then we went into Philippians. Like, we could kind of bookend the emotional experience of Job, like right down here, and then, you know, Philippians, the joyful book, you know. The more we started chewing on it, the more we were like, you know what, actually, that, I think that's a really good idea. And not just because we're trying to balance out Job, that's not what it is. Um, we really do feel like the Lord is leading us into this book. Um, and the book of Philippians is a joyful book. Nineteen times Paul says joy in the book of Philippians, and Philippians you could read in about 15 minutes, and the Apostle Paul is very joyful. Everything in here, he's like, rejoice, I say again, rejoice in the Lord, you know? And there's so many, like, for those of us that we know, you know, like Christian t-shirts and stuff like that, like, the, the book of Philippians is full of that, you know, Philippians 4, 13, I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength, fits on a mug really nice, um, uh, Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, which we're going to talk about, you know. Um, have, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, bring your request to God, and the God of peace uh, will bring a peace that surpasses all understanding and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Like, these are verses that, it's like for us, these are so foundational to us. But it's easy to think that the book of Philippians is this just kind of like, you know, joyful book that's like plastic smiles, fake joy, like the Christian fake joy, and we don't want that. This is not what we're after. And so as we were reading book, the book of Philippians, I thought, you know, what we're really up against right now is, well, we've got a problem with mental health, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, so we started reading Philippians, and the verse that really changed, changed this for me was in Philippians 4, and Philippians 4.11 says this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I'll just give my quick synopsis of it. I've been saying it the last couple of weeks. Paul says here in Philippians 4, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in every season of life. Like Paul has found this secret joy that it doesn't matter what he goes through, it doesn't matter what his circumstance is, he has a bulletproof joy. And I read that and I go, isn't that what we want? Maybe I'm alone on that, but I read that I was like, that sounds really nice. I would really love a little bulletproof joy. And I thought, well, if Paul says, you know, I, I've learned the secret, Paul is not one to, to be quiet. He, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's got a lot of things to say. And I'm like, maybe, maybe if we read back through Philippians with that lens of like, well, what is that secret? It is, it is a gospel-centered life, no doubt. It is offering your life as a living sacrifice to God, as he says in Romans 12. All of that is really important. But as we started going through the series, we thought, you know, we really need to set some good foundational things and we need to hear some functional things. We need to hear the foundational things of like, we need to live our life for Jesus. We need to live our lives in community. And if you're looking for mental health, but you don't want to serve other people and you don't want to serve Jesus, you're going to be spinning your wheels. Like those are foundational. But then there's functional things too. Like, you know, Paul, a little bit later, he says, and this is what we're going to talk about a little bit next week. But 
Uh, he says, you know, like some people preach Christ out of envy or out of this like the, trying to get back at me, um, but other people are preaching Christ out of like a good motive. And he said, so what do I do? He says, I rejoice. I don't really care. He's like, I'm not really worrying about the motivations of other people. Like there are some real functional things that Paul is teaching us. If we read between the lines, if we really look at the book of Philippians, we could gain some very practical advice on how to have a better interior life because that's what we're looking for. Uh, Philippians, though, is not a book about mental health, just to say, just to, like, we're not trying to take Philippians and force it into this, like, mental health model. What Philippians is, and Alex said this really well this week, he said, Philippians is not a book about mental health, it's a book of mental health on display. You see this man, Paul, who is in prison, every circumstance in his life is terrible, and yet he is filled with joy. This is what I wrote this week. This is kind of how I could sum up the joy of Paul in Philippians. The joy of Paul is resilient and an act of rebellion against the world, the enemy, and any trial hurled at him. It's a joy that's gospel-born and heaven-bound. It isn't tethered to circumstances or achievements. It isn't held captive by the approval of others. It's a buoyant kind of joy that can bounce back when wave after wave of trials crashes upon it. Even when Paul is in prison, he is free. This is the kind of joy that is truly miraculous and speaks volumes to the world around us. So as we read Philippians, our heart really is like, let's, let's sit at the feet of, of Paul. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a bold thing for Paul to say, but the Apostle Paul lived what he talked about. And the things that he wrote in here are, is, is timeless theology that keeps us grounded in a lot of tumultuous times. So we're going to dive into this book. We're going to have just kind of this posture of learning from Paul and going, okay, what does he say in his book? And then reading through it, what can we learn about Paul? Because we really need it. We really need it. I remember uh, last year, I... So we, we kind of knew this season with David was coming. We've, we've known for a while. Um, and I, I think I told you guys a couple weeks ago that we even had a code name for it. We called it the Upper Left Plan because we happened to write this plan on the upper left section of a whiteboard that we were, like, like you know, brainstorming on. So we even had a code name for it. We're like, okay, the Upper Left Plan. We know that's coming. That means David's going on mission. What are we going to do? And uh, about a year ago... Um, little more than a year, year and a half ago, David's like, you know, I have a feeling that a lot of weight's going to fall on you, Ryan. And we weren't really sure what it was going to look like. He's like, but I think you should take sabbatical. And at, the at that season of my life, I, I was pretty tired. And, um, you know, for me, it's like 2015 through 2017, 2018, I was uh, working full-time here in communications. And then I was going out on tour, and I was doing that pretty often. Um, I was writing. I, by, by the time I got into 2020, I had written a, uh, two books, and my second book was coming out March 2020, which was really terrible <laughs> timing. Um, and I had been working really hard. And I had been wearing as kind of like a badge of honor the fact that I had been working full-time and writing books and going on the road. Like, I was really wrapping a lot of identity around the, the stuff that I was getting done but I wasn't paying much attention to my heart. I wasn't paying much attention to the interior of my life. I was really just running on adrenaline. And then 2020 happened. And 2020 was for, you know, maybe some people it was like, hey, you get to go home and maybe work from home. In church, basically in one week, we had to retool everything that we did top to bottom. 
We turned this, this room turned into a studio. We had like cables running over where, where all you guys are sitting. We had cables running. It was the first time that we were running live. And so we had people standing in front of us whenever we were preaching going, you're live in three, two. You know, that sort of routine. And it was weird. And it was just silent in this room. And we're trying, as, you know. And we were, we were doing everything we could to retool everything that we did top to bottom. And it was really hard. And we were, again, running on adrenaline. We set up studios. We set up all these things. We bought more cameras. Our, our, our uh, video director, we, we hired him, and he was doing bumper videos and a few things before that. Then all of a sudden, 2020 happened, and we're like, Dalton, the whole church is on your shoulders, man. <laughs> Don't let us down. Um, it was just a, a brand new thing, and again, just went from one crazy season into another crazy season. And it really wasn't until 2021 that I started to realize, okay, some, something's off in me. The most jarring thing for, for me was when I got back from sabbatical. And I went out and I thought, gosh, I'm going to get so much rest. You know, it's like one of those things that's like, you're on sabbatical. Like, I, I thought, what a luxury. This is so amazing. I'm so thankful. And I'm like, man, three months off, this is going to be incredible. And one month in, I was like crawling out of my skin. I was like, okay, I get it. I get it, you know. Three months in, I, I was done with sabbatical, came back here. Uh, I, pr- I remember I had to preach my first day back at work because David got COVID. And, um, and I remember coming back feeling exhausted. And I was like, this is not right. Like, I just had three months off, and I feel really tired. And the problem was is I had nothing left to blame anymore. Like, I couldn't blame work. Couldn't blame my boss. Love you, David. Uh, nothing against my boss. Um, I, I couldn't blame anybody. It was me. And at the end of sabbatical, I was like, I'm the problem. I'm the one making me tired. This is, this is a little scary. I don't know what to do with this. From that point on, I started going to a counselor, and not because I was in an emergency, but to prevent myself from getting into an emergency. And I worked on trying to be a little bit more attentive to what's going on inside of me. And and it took a long time, took, took months and months and months, um, but the Lord brought me through a lot. And I, I know that I'm not alone in what I'm feeling. I know that, and I don't stand before you today feeling like, oh man, I've solved all the problems. Like, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of things that are starting to help me have a really healthy interior life as I serve Jesus. And both of them are okay, and they both sit in the same space. They really do. And we're going to be unpacking that a whole lot more moving forward. But this is not a self-help series. This is a series to really look at the life of Paul, to, to come at the feet of Jesus, and to say, Lord, help me to have a healthier life inside here so that I could be more powerful for you out there. That is our hope. Because we have a problem. I was looking over some statistics. 35% of Americans report that they feel so depressed that it's difficult to function That means in this room, there's probably 70 to 100 of you that barely got here. Well done. I just want to say thank you so much for coming. Well done. You you got up. You showered, hopefully. Uh, You got in the car. You came here. And sometimes it's like we just, we have to celebrate each other, even in the little things. Like, well done. Like, I know. I I get it. It's really hard. Sometimes there's things that happen. It feels, they feel so debilitating. 35% of Americans just feel like they can't even function. According to, this was kind of surprising for me. According to Psychology Today, the average high school student has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. So that means 
most of our kids in high school would be in a psychiatric facility if this were the 1950s. That's not okay. <laughs> Something is wrong. And yes, it's cell phones, and we'll talk about that uh, in, the, in the time to come. Cell phones are not, not your friend. They're not helpful. Um, it's, it is the news, yep. We, we, are not, we are not made to carry the weight of all the things going on in the world at all the time. You know, like we, we were not built for that. Um, there's all sorts of things we could point at, things that we can like, come around and say, okay, here's some practical things. But we have to understand that there's a problem, not just in the world, but there's a problem in this room. There's a problem in the church. And we have to stick out. There's got to be something in us that goes, okay, let's engage this problem. Let's not back off of it. And let's not assume that somebody else is going to fill it in because the world is filling in the gap. Some of the things they say are helpful. A lot of what they say is not. And we have to church, we have to reclaim this and go, hey, mental health, having a, 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 a solid emotional center is not something that the world invented. It's something that God invented. We have to come back around on it. We have a problem. So I want to ask you today, how are you feeling? <laughs> Jeff asks this question a lot. He says, how are you doing? And I go, oh, yeah, I'm doing great. He's like, no, what about that other 10% that you don't tell anybody? And I'm like, oh. Okay, because <laughs> we all have that, right? It's like we can easily go, oh, I'm doing great, you know? I mean, I'm sure after this service, I will be right along with you going, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, I'm doing good, you know? Like, but what about that other 10%? This is what we're going after. It really is what we're going after. So let's come around the book of Philippians with that heart posture Let's dive in. Now, before we start the book of Philippians, now today is like long intro. So sorry if you're like, Ryan, you've only done your intro. Um, I, I promise. Like, we're, this is mostly intro. We're going to hit a little bit of Philippians. Um, but we got to talk about a little backstory. Philippians, the book of Philippians starts in the book of Acts, Acts 16. And if this week you want to do a little deeper dive into the, the history of, of Philippians, Acts 16 is a real quick read. Uh, it's even faster than the 15 minutes it takes to read Philippians. Um, but it's really great in giving you a little bit of understanding. But let me give you the Reader's Digest. Paul, he's with a, uh, a guy named Silas. And Paul and Silas are on their second missionary journey. So Paul's doing his second missionary journey. Um, and he is praying that he could go into Asia. So he's trying to get into Asia. So uh, he's kind of, you know, like west of modern-day right, Greece right now, and he's trying to go east. And it says that the Holy Spirit stopped him from going to Asia, which is interesting. So Paul's like, I want to go there. And the Holy Spirit's like, I don't want you to go there. So Paul, while he's sleeping one night, he has a prophetic dream about a Macedonian man, which Macedonia is modern-day Greece, a Macedonian man standing before him, and he says, I'm really hungry to hear the gospel, basically. And Paul goes, okay. He wakes up, and he's like, Silas, we're going to Macedonia. So they get on a ship. They go to Macedonia. And one of the first cities they go to is a small city named Philippi. And when Paul and Silas show up, they're doing, I mean, again, you have to kind of put yourself, like this is a real story with real people. You have to really imagine. You're Paul. You don't know that you're going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. You have no idea about any of that. You're just trying to be faithful with what the Lord's telling you to do. You feel compelled to go start churches. The Lord tells you to go to Philippi. You and your buddy Silas get on a, plane, uh, get on a boat and you go to Philippi. And what are they doing? They're walking around. They're probably going, Lord, give us that one person. Like, tell us 
you know, you go into a place that there's no Christians. You go, Lord, give me that one person. That first person they meet is a woman named Lydia. And Lydia, it says they sell purple clothing, uh, purple cloth. She's a dealer in purple cloth. And for us, we go, who cares? I could go buy a purple shirt down the street, no problem, you know. But in ancient times, purple was like apparently like if there was the Kardashians of the time, they would all wear purple. Like it was like the thing to have. So this girl Lydia, she must have been pretty wealthy. So they tell her about Jesus. She accepts Jesus. She goes home and tells her family, and her, whole, her and her whole family get baptized. Convert number one. Paul and Silas are probably feeling pretty good. Second, they're walking around, and there is a slave woman who starts following her around, following them around. And the Bible says this interesting thing. It said that she was possessed with a spirit of divination. So she had this kind of prophetic gifting that was like evil. It was like she could call things out in people. And obviously it was working because her slave masters were making money off of her spirit of divination that she was using. And she started following Paul and Silas around. And it's really interesting because she has this evil spirit that's in her. But she starts following Paul and Silas around going, they are proclaiming, these are like men of the most high God and they are proclaiming the way of salvation. But you would hear that and you'd go, that sounds good, right? Like it seems like her prophetic gifting is used for good. Not if you talk to Paul. He was very irritated with this girl. <laughs> so they're walking around and it says that she, he, Paul at some point is just so irritated that he turns around and he casts the demon out of her. And then the woman who's, who, you know, the slave owners of that woman find out about it and they go, oh no. We're not making any money off of this woman anymore. And they drag Paul and Silas into court, and Paul and Silas find themselves in prison. And this is probably one of the most iconic stories in the book of Acts. <clears throat> Paul and Silas are sitting in their prison cell, and they're singing hymns. They're singing worship, and they're worshiping the Lord in their, in their jail cell. And suddenly, in the middle of the night, bam, all the jail cells open up. And, like, Paul and Silas do something very interesting. Like, if it was me, I'd be out of there. I'd be like, thank you, Jesus. I'm out, you know. The doors open, and Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas stay there. I don't know why. Maybe the Holy Spirit just gave them a nudge. Like, hey, you should stick around a little bit longer. And they meet a Roman jailer who is about to commit suicide. Because he's in charge, and he's like, if all of the people that I'm in charge of watching have escaped through the night, I'm in big trouble. And obviously, it was bad enough that he thought, you know, the best way out is to commit suicide. So he starts to, like, fall on his own sword, and Paul comes out and says, no, stop. And he tells him about Jesus. And just like Lydia, he and his whole family hear about Jesus, and they're baptized that night. This is the Philippian church. So we look at this and we go, yeah, it's a letter to the Philippian church. But Paul, when he's looking at this, he's going, we, we had Lydia, who was this wealthy woman. We had a, 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 a female slave who's like the lowest status possible. We have this Roman jailer who is probably kind of like middle class, you know, sort of person. And Paul's looking at this motley crew of, of new believers going, this is the foundation of this church in Philippi, and I love these people. Again, Paul is a real person talking, talking to real people in a real city. And these people, 
I mean, honestly, I think most of you, if you've been in church longer than a year, you know a lot more than Lydia or the Roman jailer or the female slave. Like, you know more than all three of them. I guarantee it. And these three are the foundation of this church. And so Paul is writing, and as we, we, if you you want to turn uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. As Paul is writing, these are the people he has in mind. He knows who he's writing to. And he says this, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He's like, I'm so thankful as I think about you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in the imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Theologians say that last line is probably one of the most intimate lines that Paul ever wrote to a church. He's like, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Like he's going, everything in me, like I just, I love you guys so much and I'm so thankful for you. Paul, even as he started this, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Other letters that Paul wrote uh, to different churches, he would say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Like he would feel the need to say, hey, I'm just reminding you I have a little authority in your life, you know, and maybe they didn't want to listen to him. Philippian church was not like that. He's like, we are servants with you. Like, we're right here with you. We're in the trenches serving the Lord Jesus together with you. And that partnership in the gospel, the word is this word koinonia. It's like this really deep fellowship, this really deep connection uh, between him and this church. Paul loves this church. He loves the people in the church. He knows the stories about the people in this church, and he is celebrating all that God did in their life. This is the overwhelming feeling as you read this. Because Paul understands that community is vital in the life of a believer. Community is vital in the life of a believer. We learned that in 2020, right? I remember as we were going through it and and people, um, people weren't coming to church and we were kind of doing everything that we could and there was a group of people and a few of them were really to me, I thought we were really advancing the Lord. And the more time they spent alone, the more time they started to go, you know, I don't know if I believe this anymore. The more philosophies in the world started to go, you know, that sounds a little bit more reasonable. I think I need to do that, you know. They say one-third of practicing Christians in America stopped practicing after 2020 which is shocking, right? Like, this is shocking. I think uh, 10 years ago, if you told me one singular event would cause people to fall away from the Lord, a third of all, all believers in America would fall away from the Lord, I would be shocked. I'd be like, what is that catastrophic event? And obviously, we had a pandemic, but I think one of the biggest reasons was that people were alone, and they didn't have community. I was reading the CDC says this, 
Social isolation was associated with about a 50% increased risk of dementia. Poor social relationships was associated with a 29% increased risk of heart disease and a 32% increased risk of stroke. Like, I feel like the Lord's getting our attention going, you are not meant to be alone. You are not meant to be alone. Like, there's physical reproduction, like, like repercussions if we're alone. And I'm an introvert, you guys. Like, I love, like, my, my favorite thing is, like, if it rains in Phoenix, which is a miracle, number one, and I could, like, sit with a book and study, like, I'm great. Like, I love that. I love being alone. I love studying. I love coming up with things. But even me, I get very weird when I'm alone. Like, that's not good for me. <laughs> 2020, after a little while, I was going, I don't really recognize myself. I need to go talk to people. Like, I don't know. I'm socially awkward anyway, but I was extra socially awkward in that season. I was going, man, I don't know how to talk to people at all. We are not meant for isolation, you guys. We, weren't, we are not. We need community. We need community. We need to press into each other. We need to press into one another, especially in the seasons you want to be alone and you want to separate yourself from everybody. That is just the, the, the enemy picking you off. We need each other. The other verse I love, and this is, this is kind of where we're going to land the plane today. Verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Jesus Christ. Just listen one more time. Listen with your heart more than your ears. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, when I gave my life to Jesus, the first couple of years, if you read that verse to me, I'd be like, oh, yeah. Like, I've gone through so much life change. Like, can you imagine where I'm going to be 10 years from now? I mean, I would have looked at that and said, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And then you look at the end, who will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back and the heavens are rended and we hear the trumpets and everything is set right, we go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus was in control. He made it all come together. But this verse is not meant for either one of those moments. This verse is meant for the in-between. This is meant for us where we are right now. I had my first anxiety attack 10 years after following Jesus. And uh, it was in the midst of a season of uh, real health deterioration. And, um, and I remember one time I, I, I had some blood work done and and uh, I sat with the doctor, and he said, you know, something's really wrong with you. He's like, your white blood count is really low, and a few other things. And after he told me all the things that were not right in my blood work, he turned to me and he said, do you have cancer or AIDS? And I was like, is there a third option? Because that's, that's really freaking me out. His bedside manner was quite lacking. Um, and I, uh, so I went through this really hard season. I didn't really know what was going on. I eventually got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, and I didn't, I didn't know, but I didn't know in the midst of it, you know, and in the midst of it, I, I started to have all these other things, and I started to feel this feeling in my heart. I was like, man, my heart's racing. Something feels wrong in my chest. Like, it feels like it's going to burst out of my chest, you know, and so I told my wife, I was like, we got to, I got to go to a heart doctor. So I went to a heart doctor, and 
went through the whole test and he was like, you're fine, your heart's fine. And I was like, that can't be, you know, like that can't be. I, I feel like my heart's racing. Like I feel like I want to crawl out of my skin. I, and I started telling him how I'm feeling. He's like, I think that's anxiety. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like this feels physical. And he said, I, I, I know, I think this is anxiety. And it was not good news to me. It's like kind of like, you know, and I, as I, I got diagnosed with what I had, I started to learn, you know, uh, health habits that helped me a lot and a lot of other things that helped me get through my autoimmune flare-up. But I was left with this horrible gift of guilt, of, of guilt, well, anxiety. I was guilty too, I'm sure. But I felt anxious, like just totally anxious. And I, at some point, I was so bad that I would get an anxiety attack about the potential of getting an anxiety attack. I don't know. For those of you who have deal, dealt with anxiety, you know, I see a few nodders out there going, yep, I know. It's a weird thing. You're like, this makes no sense. I'm freaking out on the potential that I might freak out. This doesn't ma- make any sense. And, um, and it was a real slow process to work through it. But it was that 10-year mark. I'd been following Jesus for a long time, and I needed to hear this, that he who began a good work in me was going to bring it to completion. I needed to hear that. I needed to know. And I did, I did some things right in that season, um, but I stand before you. I haven't had an anxiety attack in a really long time. And part of my process of getting through the other side was something very simple. I just kept going, and I kept coming back to the table just like the book of Job, right? We finished the book of Job uh, a few weeks back. And the miracle of Job was not that, like, God gave him all of his stuff back and he was happy again. That was not what it was. The miracle of Job was that he stayed at the table when he didn't want to. He came to the table. He's like, God, I'm really mad at you. This makes no sense. This seems completely out of whack to any potential bad thing that I did. Yet he kept coming back to the table, going, Lord, I'm so mad at you, but I'm still here. He kept coming back to the table with his friends, and his friends were really lame, right? Like they were going, Job, you're suffering really bad. It's probably because you're super sinful. Why don't you just repent, and then it'll all go away. You're like, that is not what you tell people when they're suffering. And yet Job kept coming back to the table. Anybody that's in the midst of suffering, we always have well-meaning believers come to us and say, hey, have you tried praying? And you go, yes, yes, of course I have, you know. But that's okay. Like, this is all their process. Like, we're all a family. We're all trying to process this together. No matter what anybody has said to you that's weird or funky or whatever, you cannot give up on community and you cannot give up on Jesus. You got to just keep coming back to the table. You got to keep coming back, and especially when you don't feel like it. When you feel stuck, you got to come back to the table. I gave you guys a little gift. Um, if you guys have it, uh, I know there's like, they're called like Chinese handcuffs, but I don't think that's PC, so we could pretend I didn't say that. Uh, I think it's like just finger handcuffs. I don't know what this is, but I think this is like, for me, it's like this, this represents you and God and community. And a lot of us, when we go through difficult seasons, we go through really, something really hard, we want to pull away. And yet the things that are encroaching around us, the spiritual battles, the, the anxiety battles, the depression battles, those just tighten around us as we move away from community and as we move away from Jesus. But as we come closer to one another and to Jesus, we find it loosening up. 
And trust me, you guys, I, if I'm in the midst of anxiety or I'm in the midst of something, like the last thing I wanted to do was come back to church. The last thing I wanted to do was come back to the Word. Sometimes I'm having a bad day. I'm just like anybody else. I sit down and I go, I don't want to read the Bible today, Lord. I, don't, I want to move on with my day. And I choose to sit there and to read. Not because it makes me feel better, not because it's magical, but I know that small movements over a long period of time bring us to a healthy place. So my question is, are you feeling that today? Are you feeling the tightness? Are you feeling something close in around you? Are you feeling that temptation to be isolated? Are you feeling that temptation to walk away from the Lord? My encouragement for you today is to just take small steps toward community and toward God. It's very simple. We're going to have our prayer teams that are going to be up here that would love to pray with you. If you're feeling like you want to walk away from the Lord, you're going through a lot, fight that urge and do the opposite of what you want to do and come forward and just say, hey, this is where I'm struggling. I need some prayer. Maybe you need to join a a life group. Maybe you need to join a Bible study. Maybe uh, you need to start a reading plan every morning. Whatever it is to move you toward God or to move you toward people, you need to do that. Because isolation will take you down. Paul is sitting isolated in prison, and yet he, he continues to choose connection with people, and he continues to choose connection with God.